You lose weight, it comes back. You lose it again, and it comes back again. If this cycle sounds familiar to you, there's a better, more sustainable way to lose weight. Today, I want to introduce you to Rowbody. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. It says a lot to me on how much they emphasize healthy lifestyle changes, because that's the key to making it sustainable. Plus, what also says a lot to me is over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part is you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to the days of your weight yo-yoing. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take the first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash I do. That's ro.co slash I D O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. so much for tuning in to today's show. I just wanted to start this episode off a little bit differently. I'm going to go into our guest bio, but I realize that spent a lot of episodes just not really sharing much about myself and Sarah personally. I know if you're a longtime listener and listen to some older shows, you may know a bit of our story, but thought it was a good time to share it again. Sarah and I started this podcast almost nine years ago, and we had been dating and we were living together maybe three or four years at that point. And we were both very entrepreneurial and we were looking to, to start a new business and we love podcasts and we loved relationships. And we did a quick search on iTunes and realized very fast that there wasn't much in the relationship space, certainly nothing like it is today. And it was kind of a no brainer. And we were like, all right, we're going to interview therapists because we're not experts. <laughs> and at the very least, we'll get free advice and have interesting conversations and hopefully help some people along the way. And here we are, 420 something. It depends on when this episode goes live, but over 400 episodes later, and it's really uh, amazing that we've gotten here and we appreciate you guys listening. And 
Since then, three years ago, Sarah and I actually made a loving and mutual decision to separate and eventually divorce. And we have an amazing relationship today where we live less than a mile apart here in Costa Rica. We co-parent our eight-year-old daughter, Stella, together and have a very loving and, and beautiful relationship that I'm very thankful for. Sarah works in the back of the podcast, so to speak. She's doing all the production, advertising. You'll hear her on the ad reads. And I'm obviously here on the interviews. And both of us have full-time jobs doing other things, uh, parenting. And uh, Sarah's actually has some really exciting, cool businesses here in town. She has a business development kind of, I don't know what you call it, but she, she has a hotel that she's developed and a co-working space here in Nosara, Costa Rica. And I own and operate a stand-up paddle surfing business. And all that is to say that we love this. It's really just a passion project. And it's just interesting. I made the mistake, I guess, of reading a few reviews and Noticing, you know, some people were critical of like, how are you going to give relationship advice? You're not together in, you know, things of that nature. And, and I know we never read online comments. That's maybe not the best thing to do, but I, I did want to address it in the sense of we never build ourselves as relationship experts. And I think almost more importantly is the reality that not all relationships last forever. And it doesn't mean that they're a failure. And I'm saying this just as much for myself as you guys listening, that the idea is that we're learning about ourselves, we're learning about other people, we're learning how to relate better. And that's a process. And sometimes a relationship will end, a marriage will end. And Sarah and I are actually really proud about where we are, how we ended our marriage, how we co-parent and, and relate to each other today. And if you listen to an episode, I think it's called How to Design a Divorce You're Proud of, I allude to some of the things that we did. And, and that's a valuable episode for divorce or for breaking up. And look, that's just the reality of some relationships. I know you're here to improve your relationship and that's beautiful. We're all trying to do that. And sometimes they don't work out. And I just want to to share that. And and maybe <laughs> part of it's my ego wanting to address the, the negative comments. But it is true that we've never said, hey, look at us. Look, we're doing everything perfect. The actual, the point of the podcast, why we started it was like, we want to learn how to relate better. And I think through the podcast, we learned a lot. And, and I'm super thankful for the conversations that we've been able to have that I've had more recently since the last you know couple of years. It's just been me in the interviews. And a lot of that's just logistics. Sarah actually never really loved being in the interview. She She found it not supernatural for her. And I, I'm not saying I'm an expert in these conversations either. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a surf instructor and uh, a father and a friend. And I put podcaster very low on that list. It doesn't mean I don't love this. It doesn't mean that it's not important to me, but I'm not some kind of expert. Hopefully I've, I've learned a few things throughout the years and I do enjoy these conversations. So anyways, that's a little bit of a spiel on that. And hopefully that's valuable for you guys to hear. And Sarah 
did want to come on and and maybe her and I will have a little bit of a discussion of where we're at that that you guys can get to know us a little bit better and uh, you know how we co-parent what our relationship is like today what we've learned from this podcast but I just wanted to emphasize that we are just like you trying to learn and grow and take these relationship tools and improve our relationships in our lives. So that's that. And today, my conversation with Amy Morin was no different in getting some amazing information. And Amy is a psychotherapist, an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength, and the award-winning host of a podcast called Mentally Stronger with Therapist Amy Morin. And today, Amy and I talk about the things that mentally strong couples don't do. Some of those things include not keeping secrets from your partner, creating boundaries, making space for specific conversations, and not using your emotions as weapons for manipulation, and a few other really valuable things that I think you guys will enjoy applying to yourself, applying to your relationships. So as always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you do enjoy this show, and you're not going to complain Go ahead and complain, but in, in write a, a negative review of how is Chase going to have this podcast when, when he's divorced, <laughs> but you understand and have a, a grip on reality and, and the idea that uh, I'm not billing myself as an expert and that actually relationships do end and you enjoy this podcast and, and the information we provide, we would love for you to, to leave a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast. So thank you guys so much for tuning in, for listening to me ramble in this longer little intro. Enjoy today's show. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me, Chase. I'm excited to be here. Today, we're going to talk about the things that mentally strong couples do not do. And I thought a good place for us to start would be having you tell our listeners why you like to cultivate mental strength in relationships and what that looks like. And then we'll talk about what mentally strong couples don't do. Sure. So I'm a therapist by trade and I went through my own journey of grief and loss that taught me a lot about mental strength. I lost my mom pretty early on in my therapy career. And three years to the day that my mother passed away, my 26-year-old husband died from a heart attack. And throughout my own journey, I learned a lot about, well, gee, what does it actually take to be mentally strong? How do you go through challenges? How do you get through tough times? But how do you also live the best life you possibly can? And through my experiences and my work as a therapist, as well as what I learned from my own grief, I definitely learned a lot. And one of the things I learned was sometimes what's more important isn't just what we do, but it's what we don't do. And that set me on a journey to start speaking and talking about uh, what mentally strong people don't do. But I really wanted to write this book to talk more about relationships because so much of my other work focuses on how do you build mental strength as an individual? But what if we built it as a team? What if you're in a relationship with somebody and you want to help them grow mentally stronger? How do you build your own mental strength? How does your relationship affect how strong you feel? 
And how can you how can you work together to bring out the best in each other? So that made me decide to switch my focus to to couples. Now that I'm on book number six, I thought that's a good time to start talking about relationships. So I really wanted to help people figure out uh, how to become the strongest and best versions of themselves when it's not just themselves they have to think about, but perhaps their partners as well. So much to talk about here. Thank you for sharing that. Where do you like to start with people? Because you know, your book is 13 things mentally strong couples don't do. Is there a particular one that you like to start with that sets a good foundation? Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things I would start with is uh, blaming each other. Because <laughs> that tends to be one of the biggest reasons why people walk into couples therapy is because they're blaming the other person. And they often want me to say, that it's the other person's fault. And they, people will often say, well, I can't be happy until my partner changes. So that's where we often start in the therapy office is how do you stop blaming your partner? Because we can't fix anything until you take some personal responsibility. What are some tools to point the finger at ourselves first? Because yeah, it's so common, not just in romantic relationships, but in family, friends, work, uh, we tend to, to look at the other person when we really need to be looking in the mirror. Absolutely. So I think sometimes it's important to to check our thinking whenever you think like, oh, it's all my partner's fault, or I could be happy if my partner changed, or there's often a downward spiral that comes to blame when we think about our partner's behavior, we often have this series of thoughts. So for example, if my partner is is running five minutes late, I might think, you know, they were supposed to be here. They don't care about me. That can then lead me to think they never do anything I want them to do. They never take my feelings into consideration. Clearly, they don't care about me. All because they were five minutes late. But it's that downward spiral where we often assign meaning to somebody else's behavior. And we think that they're, whatever they're doing is clearly evidence that they don't care about us or that they don't love us. And it causes us to then blame them for our lack of happiness. So sometimes it's about catching that downward spiral. Another strategy is to be cautious of our tendency to seek allies. Often if we think our partner is messed up, we want reassurance that it's not our fault. So we'll call our friends, our family members. Maybe you call your mom to say, listen to what just happened. And then when somebody that we care about says, gosh, they shouldn't do that to you, or that's not fair that that happened, it sort of reinforces to us, yes, this other person is to blame and it's not my fault. So I always caution people, like if you call your mom and you say, hey, isn't my partner an idiot? Your mom might agree with you because that's your mom. It doesn't mean that it's a fact just because you get somebody on your side. Or if you tell your friends your version of the story, there's a good chance they're going to back you up. But that doesn't mean that you should be taking an opinion poll of who's right and who's wrong. That can definitely lead to a lot more problems in a relationship if we start doing that. Can you talk a little bit about our tendency? I say our, well, I can just speak for myself, but you alluded to it. But I think we all might do this, but assigning meaning to, to others' behavior. We tell these great elaborate stories about how this person wronged us and why they did it. And we can really get off the rails. Again, speaking for myself, why do we do that? And, and how can we start to remedy that? Yeah, we all make assumptions about life all day long. We walk through life making assumptions. And part of that is our brain needs some shortcuts. We can't sit around and analyze every conversation and think about everybody's other moves. So we just kind of have some quick assumptions we make about people and our interactions. 
And when it comes to our partners, especially, we're really quick to make an assumption about how their behavior somehow means something about us. So again, going back to that example, if your partner's a li- running late for something, but also if they, maybe you're cleaning the kitchen and they don't help out. So suddenly you're like, they just don't care about my feelings. And if they don't care about my feelings, it's because they don't care about me. Or if they forgot to pay a bill, suddenly we start to think, well, that's because they aren't caring and conscientious about our financial situation and therefore they're out to get me. And those spirals happen all the time where we don't even take a step back and think, well, it's a mistake. And we know that we're often much more likely to forgive ourselves than somebody else. So if I were running 10 minutes late, I'd be much more likely to think, well, it's because there was bad traffic. But if my partner is running 10 minutes late, research will show I'm much more likely to think, he's irresponsible. (laughs) And because of that, we often make these assumptions about people's behavior, especially our partner, and then we assign some sort of meaning to it. And then we blame them for all of life's problems, anything that we face. It's easy to be like, well, that's because they don't care about me. So that's why you have to back up sometimes and think, well, what's an alternative way to look at this? Let's say they're not helping me do something that I kind of hope that they would help me with. Well, maybe they're just tired. Maybe they had a long day. Maybe they're watching TV. Maybe they haven't noticed I'm doing this thing. Or maybe it never occurred to them. Or maybe they think I like doing this. There's a million and one other explanations other than that one conclusion that we draw. But unless we really step back and examine it, it's hard to see that our automatic assumptions aren't the only assumption. That's such a valuable tool to cultivate because it's going to make your life better. You're not going to go through the world being like, all these people are wronging me. Like even I think about driving, right? That person cuts you off and are immediately our fight or flight. We can get mad. We can yell, what an idiot. And it's like, why am I assuming that they did that on purpose? It's like this negativity bias and, and the ego. And the reality is, is they probably didn't see you and it was an accident. And maybe try to assume the best and not the worst in others all the time. That's just it. If we came to that conclusion about driving, there are millions of cars on the road. People are going to cut us off sometimes. That's a fact. And that this person didn't wake up this morning thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm really going to ruin somebody's day by cutting them off on the highway. (laughs) And uh, But yet, it's easy to draw that assumption of like, that person's a jerk. They're doing this to me. And of course, who knows? Maybe they're in a hurry to get to the hospital because they have a loved one who's sick. There's a lot of things that could be going on. And that's another example I give in the book when it comes to our partners, especially is to assume goodwill, not to always assume the worst, that their intentions were probably good, that the things that they're doing in life are probably not out to get you, even though it feels that way. Maybe they were doing something because they really needed to take care of themselves or they did something with the best of its intentions and it didn't turn out the way that they want. But it takes extra effort sometimes to assume that the other person has good intentions. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Hey, parents, summer is right around the corner. And if you're like me, you want to find something fun and enriching for your kids to do. Thanks to Crunch Labs, an awesome sponsor of the show, I have just the thing to share with you. Crunch Labs' goal is to show kids how to think like engineers while having a super fun time doing it. Their Build-A-Box is a STEM subscription build-it-yourself box for kids. And starting in June, Crunch Labs is hosting Camp Crunch Labs for the summer. 
Camp Crunch Labs is a supercharged 12-week virtual summer camp with a 0% chance of bug bites, sunbirds, or poison ivy, and a 100% chance of delightful ways for your child to grow their brain and build cool stuff. Kids get 12 build-it-yourself toys, one shipped every week. These are really fun and inventive toys and projects. Think disc launchers, trip wires, and coin spinners. Plus, they get access to exclusive Mark Roberts videos and weekly challenges that are chock full of the juiciest engineering nuggets while helping your kids grow their brains all summer long. Last year, more than a million people tuned in each week to watch camp and to try their luck at the challenges. I love this for my eight-year-old daughter, Stella, because she gets to use her imagination while learning new skills, and it's something she can feel proud of. Plus, it's a new toy that she can keep playing with. So give your kids the least boring summer ever with Camp Crunch Labs. Go to crunchlabs.com slash I do to sign your kid up for Camp Crunch Labs today. Hey everyone, summer is almost here. And if you're looking for something new and captivating to listen to, I have just the thing. Have you ever found yourself tangled in a story so deep that it feels like it could be your own? One of our new favorite podcasts, You Probably Think This Story Is About You, is exactly that kind of journey. Brittany Ard takes us through a deeply personal narrative that starts with a love story and unfolds into a complex web of deceit, betrayal, and resilience. What began as her quest to understand how one man could deceive so many women, including herself, turned into an exploration of her own life marked by addiction, sisterhood, and the family ties that shaped her. This podcast is unique, and it's not traditionally hosted. Instead, you're immersed in a story through sounds and voices of those who lived it. Britt's story touches on dating apps, self-discovery, mental health, and resilience. It's raw, real, and relatable. Join Britt on her journey of uncovering the truth and healing. Start with episode one, and you'll be hooked. Trust me, this is a story you don't want to miss. Listen and follow. You probably think this story is about you wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to check out Brittany Ard on social media at Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I dot Ard, A-R-D. What is another thing that mentally strong couples don't do? Another one is along the same lines as not blaming each other is trying to fix each other. There's a lot of research that shows we can have a huge influence over our partners, but the way to do that isn't by trying to fix them. It's about changing ourselves. And we'll talk about this in therapy, but actually putting it into practice is much tougher to do. If you have a partner who uh, has a behavior that you don't like, it's really tough to let that go. And sometimes it's it's a serious issue. Somebody who uh, isn't taking care of their health as well as you think they should, it's tough to love somebody and think, you know, they're really not watching what they eat, even though the doctor told them to. Or if you have somebody that, that you care about and you think they're not living up to their greatest potential, they could be uh, making more money, taking on new jobs, but they're not doing it. So often we want to like slide in there and convince them to do something different. Or we think that they should act more like we do. I become a health zealot and I'm married to somebody who isn't. I often might be tempted to be like, don't eat that or you should do this. But we know that like lecturing people, nagging them, pleading, begging, none of that works. In fact, it just makes your relationship a lot worse. So our best bet is to just focus on 
how do I manage my own behavior? How do I respond to my partner in a way that's healthy and stop trying to fix them? That's such a tricky line because definitely taking the radical stance, that is very valuable. I've tried to do that as accepting friends, family, a partner, exactly where they're at. You know, I wouldn't change a hair on their head, but, (laughs) or I should say, and how do we balance that with an idea if there is something that our partner is doing, we do want to communicate our needs or if there's something that bothers us that they do repeatedly without this idea that we're going to change or fix them. You know, they're almost contradictory there is we want to communicate our needs, but with this idea of that we're not trying to change them. Yeah, it's a difficult balancing act and it's easier said than done. And of course, it depends on many factors in many situations to figure out how do I, how do I manage myself at the same time? How do I try to encourage my partner? How do I make sure that, that they're living up to their, their greatest potential of who they want to be? And especially if you are with somebody who's maybe struggling, maybe your partner says, okay, you know, the doctor gave me the, the word today that I need to start exercising or I need to start watching my diet more closely. How do you support them? And so I think it's really about having those conversations of how can I best support you rather than just taking it upon ourselves to be like, no, every time I see you eat something you're not supposed to, I'm going to give you the the evil eye or I'm going to give you a lecture or I'm going to take the plate away from you if you're eating something you're not supposed to. I've seen plenty of therapy clients try all of those things and and it doesn't work. And so it's really about figuring out What does your partner want from you? If you can have an open conversation about how do I best support you in reaching your goals rather than doing what I think you should do to reach your goals makes a big difference. That's such a tricky thing. And and like all the things we talk about, it's like we want to know what to do, but in practice, it can be a lot more difficult. But yeah, just taking really being honest with yourself too of like, is my communication with my partner because I want to help them and that they've expressed a desire to be helped? Or am I trying to control them and fix them and change them into the person that, oh, if they were just this way, then I would be happy. I think it's really important to be honest with yourself and try to figure out where that motive is really coming from. Absolutely, because so often it's not about uh, managing ourselves. If my anxiety goes through the roof, sometimes it feels like the easiest thing I could do would be to change my partner's behavior. Like if they just wouldn't do X, Y, or Z, I wouldn't be so anxious all the time. But really, my job is to say, how do I manage my anxiety, given that this is the way that my partner's behaving and figuring that out and problem solving, like, okay, if this causes anxiety for me, What can we do? And you might have a partner who sits down and talks to you and you can problem solve it together. But many times people will say, you know, my partner has made it clear they have no interest in changing. What do I do? And the answer is, yeah, then it really boils down to how do you figure out how do you manage your anxiety given the situation that you're in? The other night I was eating dinner at a bar and there was a couple uh, friends next to me that I didn't know. And I overheard and I just, (laughs) it just stood out. And this woman said, well, it's like, I'm I'm super anxious and and I just need a partner that's really needy so that she didn't say this, but basically alluding to so that I'll feel okay. And it's like, no, that's not what we want. It's like, we want to look at our anxiousness and we need to feel okay. And it's not our, a needy partner that's going to make us feel secure. And then you could dive into, as we've talked about on the show, attachment theory and, and everything, the anxious avoidant 
negative cycle that will exist with someone that says something like that. It's like we need to be searching for our own security, our own love towards ourselves, not looking towards our partner to act a certain way to make us feel a certain way. That's interesting that she knew that, that, you know, boy, this kind of partner could help my anxiety. She's willing to say it out loud too. But to know that, yeah, we often seek out those people that that help us feel a little bit better, at least for a minute, right? And then we, or we sometimes reach out to people who we're hoping will somehow heal our unhealed wounds. And then that just never works out in the end, <laughs> unless we work on ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Short term, it can feel good. It's like, oh, that person needs me and I'm not anxious about how they feel, but it, it's not a solution. It's a Band-Aid. So just want exactly. to throw that in there. If 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 that person <laughs> is listening, sorry, I just overheard and, and maybe you'll take this <laughs> to heart. Beautiful. So what is another thing? I love this. I'm taking lots of notes. We probably won't get to all 13, but I, I love these highlights. It's super valuable. Another one is that they don't keep secrets. So for this book, we we surveyed over a thousand people to figure out like what what kinds of things do they struggle with? And 40% of people who answered the survey suspect that their partner is keeping secrets from them. So that means almost half of couples say, I suspect for one reason or another that my partner is keeping secrets. And sometimes we think like we're sparing our partner pain, like I just won't tell them that this happened or I'll minimize how much I spent on this or I'll lie about this little thing or I'll leave out the fact that my ex reached out to me. And we convince ourselves, well, this is the right thing for my relationship because I don't want to unnecessarily upset my partner. But what we know is that when we keep secrets, it erodes trust. And when you can't trust somebody, it's really hard to to have a loving, healthy, happy relationship with them. Because you can't do that unless you trust, you know, I'm safe with this person and I can I can tell them how I'm feeling. And you have to be able to trust that the other person isn't going to blow up either. A lot of times people will say, I didn't tell them about this thing because of how angry they get. So then you don't trust that the other person can handle it. They don't trust you with information. And that leads to another one of these downward spirals where people are keeping secrets. The other person's often snooping and accusing them of things. And then they keep more secrets and it's really hard to break out of that pattern. But fortunately, it's possible. And one of the things that I often encourage couples to do is to just really sit down and define the difference for them between privacy and secrecy. Like it's okay to have privacy. Hopefully you have conversations with your friends that don't always involve your partner. Or maybe you keep your password to social media private. That's okay too. But then to have conversations about what you consider a secret, like how would you want me to respond if my ex reaches out to me? Or how should I handle if a coworker flirts with me? What would you want me to tell you? And and what would you not necessarily expect me to say? When partners have those kinds of conversations, it can often be quite eye-opening in, in what they really want from each other and what their expectations are. You answered my question because, yeah, it's like, how do you draw the line? Because it, uh, some people might want to know everything, but that can also be tricky because if, let's say, you have an anxiously attached partner, they might feel like they want to know everything. And that's also not necessarily healthy. Absolutely. A lot of people will say, you know, I'd, I'd really love to hear about all your past relationships. But do you really want to know? No, and once you no, no, once no. you know those things, like you can't unknow them. And so I think sometimes it's important for us to be careful when we say that we want to know something to really think about the ramifications of that. Like, do I really want to know that information? And what good will that do me to have that information? 
sometimes people are just looking for validation. Like, I want to know that you've never really been truly in love with somebody before. But then your partner says, actually, that girlfriend I had when I was 25, that's somebody that I really loved deeply. (laughs) You think, ooh, now what do I do with that information now that I know it? So I think it's really important to be careful of of what we ask for and to really think about it ahead of time before we demand that somebody be 100% open about things that maybe we don't necessarily need to know about. And on the flip side, I would say to be careful what we share. Like our partner may not want to know that. Uh, I've been in a relationship where it's like, I wish I didn't know that. It doesn't really add any value to you and I. And as you said, now I can't unhear that. Right. Yeah, I think that's wise too, before we just start sharing and blurting things out. And just because I might think this is important information doesn't mean my partner necessarily wants to have that information and is stuck in their heads for the rest of their lives. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. When all you want is to have a cute date night or get something special for your partner, waiting for payday can be agonizing. But you don't have to wait anymore. Our sponsor, Earnin, is an app that gives you access to your pay-as-you-work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. We've talked a lot about relationships and money on our show. It's a huge topic in dating and marriage. Many couples find themselves stressed about finances, especially when unexpected expected expenses pop up. Earnin is here to help. Whether it's covering that sudden car repair or splurging on a spontaneous weekend getaway, Earnin lets you access your earnings as you work, easing that financial stress and allowing you to enjoy the moment you're in with your partner. Earnin is empowering millions of Americans to achieve financial independence, reducing the stress and conflicts over money. No debt traps, no mandatory fees, and no credit checks involved. Simply download the Earnin app, and verify your paycheck. From there, you can access up to $100 a day as you work with an optional tip. The money you use plus any tips is automatically deducted from your next paycheck. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in relationship advice under podcasts when you sign up. It really helps the show. That's relationship advice under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Hey, Love Tribe. I have just a few questions for you. I want to know why you are here listening to the podcast. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner? and you want to feel truly heard? Or are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? Or do you just long for those fun, giggly moments of connection that you used to have at the beginning of your relationship? Well, over the last decade of hosting this podcast, those were the main reasons people tuned into the show. And we get it. We've been there. So we created our course, Spark My Relationship, because we wanted to put those tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. We're offering $100 off our course, Spark My Relationship, which is a self-paced course designed to help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a strong 
stronger, more intimate connection with your partner and have an amazing time doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. So to unlock this special offer of our course, our listeners can visit Spark myrelationship.com slash unlock to get $100 off. That's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. All right. So we've got about four points now. They're all super valuable. What is another one that healthy couples or strong couples don't do? That they don't hesitate to set boundaries. And, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about boundaries, but I think we don't talk enough about couples and how couples can have boundaries, both within the relationship. It's important to have a, have a boundary, even if you're, you're married to somebody and you share a house and you share finances, there should still be some boundaries. And that goes back to, again, the issue of privacy. What is it that you want to still keep private? And what are your expectations? And it would be great if couples had more of these conversations, like if the, door to the bedroom is shut. What's your expectation? Is Should you still knock on the door? Or is it okay to just open it because you assume I'm okay? Or uh, what's your expectation in terms of um, social media? If I left my laptop open and you happen to be sitting there, is it okay to look or should you not? And then couples, it's important for them to have boundaries about the outside world. I would say one of the number one reasons that people come into my therapy office as a couple, it's because of their issues surrounding boundaries. And quite often it's in-laws. Should your mother-in-law knock on the door? What if she's telling the kids like, hey, your parents, I should really let you eat more sugar. I don't know why they panic about that. Like, what do you do? How do you say to your to somebody like, you can't say that or you can't come over every day? Or uh, if somebody's infringing on your relationship by offering unwanted advice, whether it's a friend or a family member, how are you going to handle that? So it's important for couples to talk about that. And you're probably not always going to agree on boundaries. One person might be quite comfortable, say, loaning a mon- loaning money to a sibling, but the other partner might say, we really shouldn't do that. Or one person might say, you know, it's, I'm fine with so-and-so coming over uh, unannounced without knocking on the door. The other person might be like, no way, I don't want that to happen. So that's why it's so important to just have these conversations and and to discuss each other's feelings and figure out, all right, maybe I don't feel like I need to set a boundary with my mother or my sister, but if my partner thinks I do, then then maybe we should have some of those boundaries in place just so that we both feel comfortable. These last two that you shared about not keeping secrets and, and setting boundaries, they involve having deliberate conversations. And that's, to me, it's such a reoccurring theme with a lot of things in relationships is carving out the time and space when you're not busy, when when you have the mental strength and and freedom to to have these because so often we just assume the boundaries we assume you know what what should be private and and what not and that gets us into trouble and we don't take the time to really deliberately have these conversations and i imagine in your list of 13 things that there's other specific conversations that we need to to carve out some time to have Yeah, absolutely. And because so many of the things that we end up falling into in a relationship are kind of just out of habit. And if we don't take a step back sometimes and say, wait, is this really what I want? It's much tougher to, to figure that out down the road. And so I'll give an example. I worked with a woman who she moved in with her, her longtime boyfriend 
And he'd been a bachelor and his friends often just kind of slept at, on his couch, whether it was that they happened to be in town or they had gone out and had too many drinks. He was in, within walking distance from the bar. And so she had put up with this because she moved into his place. But fast forward a couple of years and she's like, there's still a lot of people that come and go sleep on the couch. She wasn't comfortable with that. But they never really sat down and said, hey, now that we're joining forces as a couple, do we want that to be the case? Or do we want to change some of those rules maybe? Or do we want to set boundaries with people about showing up at 2 a.m. to sleep on the couch? And it really had just never occurred to her because she'd fallen into that trap of thinking, well, this is how things were. This is how they've always been. And do I have a right to say anything? Is it okay to ask him to set more boundaries? Because she wasn't comfortable with it. But it was really about just taking a step back and having that conversation. And once she did that, she realized like this this had been his normal for so long. He didn't even realize that she was kind of uncomfortable with it until they had that discussion. Is there a specific, I know every relationship is different. So I'm answering my own question. There's not going to be a specific time, but can you talk a little bit about when in the course of a relationship developing that that these conversations should come up? Because you're not going to have it necessarily on the first date, but but when can we start talking about these things? Yeah, I think boundaries often kind of evolve naturally over time. And that's where you get the idea of like who has different boundaries. So on a second date, somebody might ask, hey, how much money do you make? One person might be completely comfortable answering that question. Somebody else might be like, whoa, 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 I have some financial boundaries. I'm not going to share that information. So I think we should revisit it often because things are going to change and they shift over time. And even if you're in a long-term committed relationship, life is going to evolve and change as you have children. Uh, maybe their friends come over. They're, you have little kids that want to sleep in your bed. Uh, lots of things are shift. Or once you become grandparents or as your life evolves, you get a new job, you move to a new city, uh, your parents become elderly. I mean, always, always it's important to have these conversations. And as the world changes too, how many couples got together before the inventions of social media? You didn't need to have boundaries about social media uh, a couple decades ago. Now, hopefully a lot of couples are having those conversations about what's okay and what's not okay or what their expectations are. So I think we should be having these conversations on an ongoing basis, starting with pretty early on in the dating relationship with what your expectations are in terms of your time. How much time do you expect to spend together? Your finances, how much are you comfortable sharing and just talking about versus how much money are you physically going to share? And physical boundaries. If you're going to be sexually active with somebody, by all means, it's important to be able to talk about what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with. We've covered some great points. Before we wrap up, can you share one more that maybe is at the top of your mind? They're, they're all probably <laughs> super valuable and important, but is there one that's maybe a little bit different or that, that might surprise people before we wrap up here? Yeah, I think uh, chapter five, which is that they don't use their emotions as weapons. So when we asked people this question, about 37% of people said that they think their partner uses anger and sadness as a manipulation tactic. And this is something I would see quite quite often in the therapy office, that somebody would maybe say, you know, I can't talk about that because I have a bad temper. And it wasn't necessarily that they couldn't control their temper. It was just a great way to get out of having a certain discussion. Or I've seen plenty of people who will say, well, I can't do that because I have anxiety and you know that. And it's probably true that the person has anxiety, but it doesn't mean that your partner is responsible for 
making the phone calls for you or for uh, expecting you to pitch in and help out. But so often people didn't want to call their partner on it. Like, oh, I don't want to cast a shadow of doubt that I am second guessing whether you struggle with anxiety or I don't want to say I expect you to do this. So I think it's important for us to try to assume that our partner's intentions are good and that that they perhaps are being honest. If your partner says they are struggling with anger or sadness or anxiety, believe them. But at the same time, you can still have expectations of them that they can perhaps revisit the conversation again when they feel calm in an hour. You don't have to say we're going to shelf the conversation about money forever just because you might get angry. Or if your partner does struggle with anxiety, then you can again talk about how can I support you without perhaps enabling uh, you or preventing you from doing things that you could learn. Or if there is a subject that's upsetting to your partner, that doesn't mean that you have to avoid it forever. Yes, it is perhaps sad to talk about um, creating a will together, or it's really maybe upsetting to talk about moving because your partner's kind of sad about the thought of doing that, yet you can't afford the place you're in. Whatever it is, to make sure that you are supporting each other, but to not use emotions as an excuse to avoid doing and talking about certain things. That's a good one. And it can be tricky because, like you said, you want to validate your partner's feelings. Let's say they have social anxiety and and they they don't want to go out and, and you like to go out and it can feel like maybe they're using that as as an excuse or to to manipulate. And it's not like in a super toxic way. So how how could you with that example, like have a conversation while still, you know, to maybe push them to be like, hey, this is important to me. I would love to go out. I know you have some anxiety around this, but maybe they have their own pathology behind that too. And and actually the social anxiety is more just they're not open to, you know, the disappointment of of not having friends, whatever. So yeah, that can be such a tricky one to validate their feelings, but also not feel manipulated by them. Right. And again, it goes back to those conversations of, okay, how can I support you? And if you have social anxiety, absolutely. What could we do? So maybe you could do some compromising of, we'll meet up with two friends in the in somebody's house rather than going out somewhere where it's really loud and noisy and chaotic. Or we will uh, go, but we'll take our own car. And if we decide we're going to leave early, like that's okay too. You just give me the signal of, you know, scratch me on the left knee and I'll know what that means. But Often it's just having those conversations ahead of time that says, I struggle with this. And the other person can say, I completely understand. How do we work together to to address this so that both of our needs can get met? And I've worked with people who have legitimate issues like panic attacks and things like that that do make it difficult to support their partners. And they have trouble going and doing things that their partner wants to do. But when people work together as a team, they can accomplish some, some pretty cool things together. And often just validating the other person's feelings and listening to them and trying to really understand where they're coming from rather than insisting either no, you don't feel that way or no, you uh, always ruin everything or you never do anything I want to do. But sometimes just really validating and understanding where the person's other person is coming from goes a long way toward helping us work together to solve the problem. I love it. That's super useful and a beautiful place for us 
to wrap up. We covered a lot today, Amy. Before we wrap up, I'd like you to tell our listeners where they can find you online, a little bit about your book, and if there's anything we skipped over or something you want to emphasize, and then we'll say goodbye. Sure. My website is Amy Morin, LCSW, as in Licensed Clinical Social Worker.com. And on there, you can find information about all of my books, including the latest one, 13 Things Mentally Strong Couples Don't Do, which is available everywhere books are sold and it officially goes on sale December 26th. Beautiful. Well, we will have those links in the show notes and on our website. And thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. As always, all the links to the guest as well as any of their recommendations will be in the show notes page. You can find the link to that in the episode description or by going to idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab up at the top and you will have access to all the episodes that we've ever done. There are over 300 of them. Uh, And while you're on our website, if you haven't checked out our free 14-day happy couple challenge... We really hope you do. It's a free email challenge that we send to you. It's 14 days of fun, easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And if you're looking for something that provides a little more help with working on your relationship, whether it's improving intimacy or communication with your partner or just bringing the spark back, we would love for you guys to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. We're offering $100 off to all of our listeners if you go to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. We've worked with over 15 psychologists and therapists to create the real life tools and strategies that they are teaching their clients. So we wanted to give them to you. It's a self-paced online course that can be done in as little as a month or up to three months. You can really decide how much or how little you want to do with your partner or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.